the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, good afternoon and greetings. Thanks for coming along today for the Monday edition of The Ride it's Home. It's such a gorgeous day, Lovely, John. Oh, day. my gosh. Yeah, this is, uh, I would say, the heart of fall, or the heart of autumn. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I took a long drive yesterday. Did you? Yeah, because I had the tasting, you know, the wedding tasting I was talking oh, about right. on Friday, um, where they get, like, you know, they get a bunch of people in a room who have booked a wedding at this venue, and then you get to taste all the food. Oh, so you were one of multiple families. Yeah, there were probably 100, and, 100 people there. What? Yeah. All the brides, families, mm-hmm. and grooms as well. Yeah, like brides and grooms and parents and mm-hmm. grandparents, like whoever wanted to come. Generally a, a very upbeat room. Very, huh? very. And the food was delicious. What? Listen really? to me. It was so delicious. Excellent. Anyway, uh, but I so it took a while for me to drive there. Yeah. And pretty much all the trees are done. Yeah. That was sad. It was a gorgeous day. Mm-hmm. I was grateful to be there, but all the trees are about that. That's all skeletons right yeah. now, right? Yeah. It's okay. So you'll live with these skeletons for five yeah. months or so, but then whenever they come back, you It'll, go, oh. Right, I know. I love that. Me so, too. Yeah. Right, but it is skeletons. So, but it's, it's hard to acknowledge the end of autumn mm-hmm. for yeah. me. Right, right. Yeah. Well, wait, just wait. Go back to the testing. Yeah. Well, taste, uh, anything like significant stand out? Yes. Really? Tell me. Baked potato dip. Oh, what? Baked potato dip. I'm not even sure What's a big, why it was so delicious. Well, of course, because a baked potato is delicious. That's yeah. why it's so delicious. It was like a dip that you would put on a cracker, but it was hearty. Hmm. It, to me, it was like I'd be fine with that as a meal. No, wait. No, it, it was hearty for November, June I wedding. thought about that. I, I thought about it, right? But we're, we're still going for it. Really, it's, it was it was that impactful. Good, the mm-hmm. baked potato dip. Yeah, and you know what else they had <laughs> that I love? They had maybe eight or ten jars of uh, pickled vegetables. Oh, I like that. They too. had pickled asparagus. Yeah, yeah, yeah They had yeah. beets, cauliflower, carrots, cauliflower, mm-hmm. broccoli in different, you know, configurations. Uh, get ball glass jars. Oh, I like it with some tongs, and so you could just reach. Really? They were delicious. Wait, was this just kind of like generally people milling about eating, noshing? Yeah. I thought there was like someone speaking and going, no, okay, we're all going to try no, this. No, 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 no. Oh, man. It was great. I wish I could have crashed I that. know. I wish you could have come. Oh, you would have enjoyed it very much. Fabulous. And there was an empty seat next to me. Oh, I'm not sure who was supposed to sit in it, but me. that person didn't show. I am John from the ride home. <laughs> <laughs> What's right. your relationship to this wedding? <laughs> Nothing, really. No, no, connect. I'm the co-host. <laughs> Really? Is that a legal co- thing? I'm the co-host of the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was good. Yeah, I'm, that so sounds I felt good about it. I'm hungry. Anyway, there's a terrific show coming up in the five o'clock hour. We're excited to talk to Keith Getty. Uh, Keith and his wife Kristen have written I don't know a Eight ton. Million. 
a ton of modern uh, hymns and carols. They're going to be coming to Pittsburgh for a show at the Benedum, so we're going to uh, talk to him about that. Um, also, we're going to talk about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We shared uh, on Friday the story of our relationship with our good friend Bob Long, who passed away uh, in the middle of October. And part of his uh, of his legacy was working with FCA, yeah, at, at, like in an adjunct capacity over many years, and it got us thinking. And so we're going to talk about FCA today. Outstanding. Um, also, is Ken Ken enough? Ken the doll. Ken the doll is Ken. Pure Kenny, is it? Does he should be should he be changed in any way? We'll talk about okay. that. Strong opinions about strong this. opinions yeah. about that. Also, mm. an after school Satan club mm. has opened at an elementary school in Connecticut. Good. So Excellent. I can't wait to get more sure. info. We'll on talk that. about that as well. All right, then uh, that's the, uh, the look ahead. It's Let's also World moment. Kindness Day. Very nice. We'll talk about that because okay. that's a Fred Rogers thing. Excellent. All right. So, but let's look at the news stories of the day. They are anything but kind. Without further ado, here's the top four at four. For Monday, November 13th, 2023, number one. American aircraft yesterday struck a weapons storage facility and a command and control center used by Iran-linked militants in Syria in the latest round of retaliatory strikes amid continued attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East. Boy, it's scary, isn't it? It's sure it is. it really scary. Um, the operation was in response to what the Pentagon has called ongoing attacks, injuring dozens of American troops by proxy fighters supported by Iran since the Israel-Hamas war began after the Hamas's terrorist attacks last month. The U.S. military said the strikes are part of a larger strategy of deterrence. Bring that on, right? Intended to keep other groups from escalating conflict in the region where tensions are high. The president has no higher priority, said Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, than the safety of U.S. personnel. And he directed today's action to make clear that the U.S. will defend itself in personnel and its interests. The strikes were the third round of retaliation, according to the Pentagon. The military said back on Wednesday that warplanes struck a weapons storage facility in eastern Syria being used by Iran-backed militants responsible for the dozens of drone and rocket attacks against American troops in the region. That's from ABC News. Number two, Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina is out of the presidential race. He announced the unexpected decision last night, just two months shy of the Iowa caucuses. His departure from the GOP race followed the abrupt cancellation of all his campaign stops in Iowa this weekend. But moments before he made the announcement, his campaign was sending out a fundraising email. So nobody knew what was going on. Hmm. Nobody knew what was going on. It took many of the staff members aback. Um, He made the announcement live on Fox News, then immediately held a call with his surprised campaign staff to inform them of his decision. Quote, it was a shock to nearly everyone on the campaign, and most of us found out in real time. Mm. said one campaign aide to CBS News. Also, Scott said he currently has no intentions of endorsing another candidate. What happened there? Number three. Former British Prime Minister David Cameron made his shock return to high office today, becoming foreign secretary in a major shakeup of the conservative government that also saw the firing of Home Secretary Suella Braverman. Cameron, who led the UK government between 2010 and 2016, was appointed by Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in a cabinet shuffle in which he sacked Braverman, who was divisive. She was mad and accusing police in the UK of being too lenient with pro-Palestinian protesters. She was replaced as well. 
Cameron's appointment came as a surprise. It's rare for a non-lawmaker to take a senior government post, and it's been decades since a former prime minister has held a cabinet job. Isn't that interesting? I like it. I mean, it is interesting. Um, as a leader brought down by Britain's decision to leave the EU, Cameron resigned the day after op- voters opted to leave. Yeah. Read more about that at CBS British News. politics are very Isn't strange. it? I, yeah. I like it, though. I do, too. You know why? Because it's not us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and number four, sitting, John, as you know, may lead to an early death, mm. putting you at a higher risk for obesity, type 2 diabetes, and other health issues. And while one fairly obvious solution is to just get off your tush and exercise, another thing may help sleep and that is your top four well that's the same thing as no it's not it's not it is not i still miss the the zoom at the end of the news right can we get the zoom i want some kind of zoom anyway swapping just 30 minutes of sitting for 30 minutes of sleeping (laughs) lowered overall body mass by nearly a pound and cut about two-thirds of an inch from waistline. That's yep. junk science. No, it's a study from the European <clears throat> Heart Journal, mm-hmm. and it also found a similar benefit in weight loss and reduction in waist circumference with people who replace 30 minutes of sitting with an equal amount of standing or light activity like walking. A body in motion tends to stay in motion. Nope. <clears throat> well, I mean... A body well, at rest that, tends to stay at rest. Okay. All I'm Sleeping. saying is what the European Heart Journal says. Okay, so I've been sitting around all day, so to counteract that, I'm going to go to bed early. No, instead of sitting around all day, you take 30 minutes off of your sitting and you go take to sleep. Take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's crazy news. We'll take a quick break, come back as we do every Monday. We go right to the White House. Greg Clugston, SRN News. He'll join us next. Once a week, we check in with Washington, D.C., where Greg Clugston joins us at the White House. Greg, it's kind of like looking at it from a, from a circus master perspective. But thanks, as always, for your clarity. <laughs> I'm trying my best, John. Kathy, good to be here with you today. Yeah. Okay, so I guess first thing is uh, Tim Scott is out as a uh, presidential possibility. And this apparently was a surprise to everybody, including his staff. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's in some ways it's not surprising because you know he was polling fairly low in uh, you know the GOP primary polling, and in fact there was a question as to whether or not he was going to qualify for last week's debate in Miami. He did end up making it on this on the on the debate stage last week. So and he still had you know money in his uh, advertising um, and you know budget you know war chest for for the campaign. But you're right, it was surprising in the fact that he was uh, being interviewed. Uh, on a Fox News program last night uh, with a host who is a former member of Congress, Trey Gowdy, and is a good friend of of Scott. And he used that occasion to just on on the spot, live on the air, say, you know what, I'm uh, suspending my campaign. It's clear that the voters, uh, you know, I haven't really resonated with voters as much as he's enjoyed, you know, the campaign and meeting a lot of Americans and spending time in some of the early voting states. And he says it just wasn't his time. So mm-hmm. he is out. So that automatically means that the next debate in early December is going to be uh, an even smaller stage is what we expected, but it's going to be official now because it'll be no more than four uh, is the understanding at this point. Right. So, Greg, uh, you were at the debate last week in uh, Florida, in Miami. Uh, Interesting. Um, I'm watching on television. I felt as though Tim Scott uh, kind of ran out of steam, that his origin story was what he had and not much else to offer. 
Right. He banked a lot, I think, on his origin story, which is a which is a fabulous uh, mm-hmm. personal history that he has to share with people. And of course, he's uh, deeply deeply religious, uh, in very you know not shy at all about sharing his Christian faith and values. Um, and so he was very authentic in that way. Yes. But I think in terms of um, the broader issues um, and that were you know are being debated and and his response to them, at least in those debate settings, uh, he was not seen as as rising. There was some momentum he had early in the summer, um, and he had a lot of people donating to his campaign. People thought that he, you know, especially with his sort of optimistic and yeah. and forward-looking, you know, policy and vision of a campaign, he was trying to really set it apart from, from Donald Trump specifically and even some of the other GOP rivals. It just simply didn't catch on enough for him. Hmm. Okay. All right. So let's turn our attention then to the other side of the aisle. Um, what are polls looking like for our current president? Well, you know, this time last week, everybody uh, was, in, including here on the program, we were talking about the uh, the New York Times Siena College polls and those yep. early battleground states and five out of six that Joe Biden had won in 2020 were now showing that Donald Trump would be victorious in them. Of course, it's it's still a year ahead, a year out from the election. But this snapshot was very dissettling to unsettling for a lot of Democrats. And they're still talking about it. There were further polls last week, later in the week. And also um, some new research released last night uh, from Stack Research uh, that is showing, um, again, more of these trends of some of those narrowly won states by Joe Biden in 2020 that had flipped from Donald Trump to Joe Biden between 16 and 20, but now look to be flipping back to a possible Donald Trump um, primary, uh, you know, general election uh, in 2024. So uh, what people have to remember is there were... um, you know, a handful of states that were very closely contested in terms of the margin of victory for Joe Biden. And with people still unhappy about the economy, uh, unsure about the president's age uh, going forward, uh, this is a recipe for uh, that Donald Trump's campaign is, is is eating up right now. And so it's just very interesting that the White House and Democrats are being faced with this problem mm-hmm. of at least a year away of what it is showing in the polls right now. Interesting. So um, it seems as though the holidays are, will be on us very quickly. And, of course, there'll be sort of a lax period. But then after the New Year's, Greg, we're going to go to the polls across uh, many states in this country. When is the first sort of um, polling take place uh, after January? Do you know? Well, we're talking Iowa in uh, you know the first couple of weeks of January, and then New Hampshire, of course, is the first official primary in the state uh, in the country. What's interesting is is, is if you remember, we I think we've talked about it before. A year ago, you had Joe Biden essentially say he wanted South Carolina to become the first right, primary and and leapfrog ahead of New Hampshire. Well, the folks in New Hampshire they take their first in the nation status very seriously, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, you know. Uh, we're still going to go. We're still going to go first. After, meaning after Iowa. Iowa has the caucus format. The primaries are held in New Hampshire, and so what's what's interesting is Joe Biden is actually not going to be officially on the ballot in New Hampshire because he had made the decision to have South Carolina and Democrats focus there first. Their argument being that it's a more diverse state and possibly more representative. Of course, that was the state that turned the campaign around in 2020 for for Joe Biden. He had not shown well in either Iowa or New Hampshire, but got, uh, you know, got fire, caught fire in, in South Carolina. So that's why he wants that to happen. But you're right, John. Once we hit the, you know, early January, that's 
when this primary calendar is going to start ticking off. So we'll have that Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. And then there's been a reshuffling for some of the states. So some of the states that had traditionally in years past gone later in the primary calendar, some are moving up because they want to have more um, significance in the election process for the, the for the primaries. Interesting. We're talking with Greg Clugston, SRN News White House correspondent. Greg, um, uh, speaking of uh, President Biden, uh, President Biden will be meeting with dictator uh, Xi. I'm sorry, uh, President Xi from China here uh, shortly. Talk to us about that planned meeting. Well, as we all know, the U.S.-China relationship has been, um, you know, kind of on the skids here uh, for a year or so. It was back in February. Remember the uh, the, the the balloon flying across the uh, the spy balloon oh, yeah. flying across the U.S. Uh, that no was no big sort deal, of just, right? Nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah, right. And that got shot down, and then we learned that there was surveillance involved and all the rest. And so that was, you know, that was uh, just one aspect of the relationship, you know, complicated uh, relationship between the U.S. and China. China, but that made matters a lot worse, of course. And so, what happens? What's going to be happening this week is that there is an economic. Uh, it's the. It's one of the global economic summits that um, the world leaders attend every year. It's being held in San Francisco this year. The U.S. is the host country, and so uh, the president, President Biden, is flying out to San Francisco for these meetings. He'll be leaving tomorrow uh, from here in Washington. But um, before the, that summit actually begins, he is going to have a face-to-face meeting with President Xi and. This is something the White House has talked a long time about, uh, and they said it was going to take a period of time, including you know several months, which it which it has been since that spy balloon incident. But there's a lot to talk about in terms of the transfer of technology, and they want and the U.S. is eager to have a military to military um, talks resuming between the two countries, so that things don't you know sort of devolve into military conflict. So it'll be interesting to see if this is a springboard to an improved relationship between these two very important countries. Greg, before we leave conversation about the president, I want to ask you about his uh, unflagging support for Israel. I was listening to one of my Mm -hmm. favorite podcasts uh, that uh, originates in the UK, and they were doing an interview with someone inside Israel, and they said that the the most popular politician in Israel right now is President Joe Biden, Um, and that includes their own politicians. Uh, So what... Uh, how's he faring in the U.S. Um, based on his support for Israel? And, and uh, I'm sure that there are uh, fringe elements of the Democratic Party uh, very unhappy with that. Sure. And I think we touched a little bit on this last week, too, and it's only in sort of intensified in some ways, Kathy. You have, uh, you know, the Jewish population uh, is very, very uh, in this country is very grateful for the strong support that Joe Biden has shown for Israel. Even, you know, as the as the White House, the Biden administration has been saying that there needs to be an effort to minimize and prevent civilian casualties and and the need for relief, uh, this president, Joe Biden has been uh, very, you know, uh, very, very clear in saying that Israel has a right, um, in fact, an obligation are the words that he uses to defend itself. And so um, on the flip side, uh, as we talked about before, you've got a lot of um, pro-Palestinian and even some segments of pro-Hamas, you know, movement in this country, even on college campuses and universities uh, that have uh, sparked a lot of outcry. And um, there's an interesting report by 
Axios today of an internal State Department dissent memo, meaning members of the State Department and the diplomatic corps, they, there is a process to actually sign names on internal memos when there is disagreement with the policies of the White House and the sitting president. And apparently some 100 State Department and USAID employees are urging senior U.S. officials to reassess their policy toward Israel. So what? even within the administration, um, yeah, and, and a lot of these wouldn't be necessarily political appointees by by Joe Biden, but they would be um, career diplomats within the State Department. So there's a growing rift even within the State Department about what Joe Biden is saying. So this is not over by any stretch. Heaven help us. Oh, my. Wow. That's a that is shocking. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Greg, let's uh, move forward and talk about uh, deja vu all over again. The government is set to run out of money midnight on I Friday. I feel like we just had this conversation. Where's the pumpkin and Cinderella? Mm. Yeah, well, you know, just rewind a few weeks. Remember when uh, Kevin McCarthy got ousted as Speaker? Of course yeah. we do. Of course we do. Well, one of the main reasons why you had um, his critics and you know call for his uh, his vote, you know, to be removed, um, was because they didn't like the idea that McCarthy um, pushed through that temporary spending bill to prevent a government shutdown. Well, fast forward to this week, and the brand new House Speaker Mike Johnson, he is putting forth a temporary proposal to uh, to fund the government for the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months in some cases. And it's the same kind of approach. And so it's going to be interesting to see if if, uh, if Mike Johnson gets the same reception. Uh, but what he's doing differently is is a really kind of an unusual approach. Usually when they uh, when Congress says, OK, we need to pass temporary funding, it's for all of the agencies in the federal government. And what Johnson is doing is saying, this time, he wants there to be a two-step approach that there would be a bill that would pa- that would fund some of the government's agencies through the first part of January and another bill that would fund the rest of the agencies through early February. It's a laddered approach. He's what he calls it. And it's not it's not flying too well right now. A lot of Democrats and what and the White House say this is just a recipe for more chaos. And even a handful of Republican House members are on the record saying they're opposed to it, which means he'll need Democratic support to get this temporary budget through and and avert a government shutdown. Oh, but you're absolutely right. Gosh. It's deja vu all over again, even though there's a different uh, a different person in charge of the House these days. Wow. Okay. We're talking to Greg Clugston. He's with us. <laughs> as, I'm just so shocked by just I, I shouldn't shouldn't be shocked by it anymore. Uh, he's a SRN News White House correspondent. And we're talking about uh, this week in the nation's capital. Okay. What about um, this is a personal thing. And, you know, in, in our last few segments, we things have been so serious, it seemed around the world. It, it, I don't know. It seems somehow inappropriate to ask you something frivolous. But let's go for but it. But I'm going for it today. <laughs> because I think we all need a little bit of levity for crying out loud. Uh, there, there's a story in today's Washington Post about how horrible your family portraits sessions can be. Family you know, photos. Family photos. So you sit down and, you know, maybe it's for your Christmas card or whatever. And, you know, the dog bites Aunt Louise and the kids are crying and you're having a fight with your spouse and it all falls apart. Anyway, so I was wondering if you and your family, Greg, have done these family portrait things. And I, I want I guess I'm asking for a little peek behind the curtain. Has it gone well? 
Yeah. Well, I think for the most part, we've had pretty good sessions. I, I mean, I can remember when our, you know, kids were much smaller and, you know, when you've got a, a range of age of children, maybe between, you know, two, you know, 18 months or two years old and up to five or six years old, trying to get all of those kids happy on the same day at the right. same moment, that can be difficult. I do remember it wasn't a family portrait in a studio per se, but um, I think I mentioned we had an RV family trip a number yeah. of years ago across the country. And we made sure that we had a family photo photo at like our campground site at each stop along that trip. Nice. And there was one day when the a uh, couple of the our three kids were uh, really at it and uh they <laughs> they were not in a smiling mood, shall we say. <laughs> and it it did it, it took everything uh, that my wife and I had to uh to get them to pose for that picture uh so we could have it for posterity, but that's the one that stands out. Okay, Excellent. that's a good one. Nice. On the road. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. On the road with the Clugstons. Mm-hmm. Very good. Give me like there Charles Corral thing. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, it's always a pleasure. We appreciate just uh, checking in here, bringing us up to date. You're welcome. Have a good week. You as well. Greg Clugston, SRN News, White House correspondent. Information about Greg Clugston, SRN News, awardfm.com. The Clugstons were fighting. Hey, welcome back. Uh, today on your calendar, World Kindness Day. Mm-hmm. Anything planned? Uh, extra extra kind for the day? John, I think you're just such a terrific person. And Lexi, I love you so much. Um, uh, so this is inspired by Fred Rogers. That's where World Kindness Day comes really? from. Really? I yes. did not know this. Yeah. Because why? I, mean, I think it's his birthday. Today's Fred Rogers' so. birthday. Hold on, Lex. Yeah. Is that true? Is today for... Uh, he was in your building. He was your neighbor. We shared a building mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when I was in college. Did you ride an elevator with him? Yes, sure. You did. But here's the thing. his uh, But only maybe once, because uh, as I remember, his uh, room or apartment was on the first floor. Oh. oh. And I was on seven. So where was he going? I don't know. <laughs> but I was in the elevator with him once. Interesting. He Alone? did not have a sweater on. No, there was a group of us. Did anybody say anything? Oh, everybody was always hey, talking to Mr. Rogers. Yeah, of course, right. Yeah, and people, uh, as I and of course I was eight, I was like maybe twenty at the time. I don't remember people calling him Fred. No, they called him Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I wonder if there was a burden of being Mr. Rogers. Yes, I'm sure there. You think was, so? Yes. Like he could always, he could never be yeah, like crabby. Of course, crabby Rogers. Yeah. Lex, yeah. is it Mr. Rogers' birthday? It is not. His oh. birthday is in March. Mm. Okay. March 20th. I don't know. Then I'm, not, I'm not sure what the connection is, right. but it is a connection. Well, it's always a good day to be it's kind. Ins- of course it is. It? John, that's why I think that you're such a terrific person. <laughs> Stop now. It's also, oh, I know why. Huh. It's also National Cardigan Day. Aha. Uh-huh. That's what it is. It's a little early in the season for cardigans. No, I think it's you a think fine so? time for a cardigan. It's yeah. November. It's almost the middle of November. Listen, I have a cardigan that I wear, and every time I wear it, my wife goes, that doesn't look good on you. You look like Mr. Rogers. So I, I disavow it. Oh. Well, maybe it's not world. Maybe it's not your cardigan day. Because <laughs> yeah. I like a cardigan, don't uh, you? Yeah. Okay. Speaking of kindness, yeah. I want to thank Linda Roundtree. Because oh. she's a listener hey, Linda. who sent us a, a letter, uh, very sweet, but also sent us a couple books. And mm-hmm. not books that she wrote, books that have been meaningful for her, and she thought they might be meaningful for us. Yeah. And I thought that was really kind. Very kind. Holy Moments, A Handbook for the Rest of Your Life Thanks, by Matthew Linda. Kelly. They're very kind. Yeah, people, I love that. Aren't people kind? Yes. 
Right? I mean, people are kind. If you follow the news or social blah blah, or blah, you end up on Twitter, you think people are just abysmal, right? Yes. But people, I believe most people I agree. try to be kind to each other. Yes. In a very difficult, we are so much better off. I think stuff. for the most part, and we all fall short, believe me. But I think this is a kind place to work. This place, the people who work in, in yes. oh, undoubtedly, I really think that I've, it's something I very much appreciate. I mean, I told you this. So remember, years ago we had the sales guy here, and uh, he was like, "I'm leaving for greener pastures," and he went to sell at a different station, and he came back like a year and a half later, and he was like, "That was rough. Mm. That was a rough crowd right. over there." There's something about yeah. working here. I, yeah. do, I do believe that. I'm not trying to, you know, you know, we're kiss not up perfect, to the boss and we're not perfect, but I, but it, I think overall moments. it's a kind place. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, you're very kind to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear someone's personal story. Mm-hmm. Isn't it great to hear a testimony? I like, always this love is, it. This is my real story. Have you ever heard a story about a guy in a Greyhound bus and the Grateful Dead? No. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Fasten up your seatbelts. Here we go. That's next on the ride home. Jesus can be found anywhere, even on a Greyhound bus. Our next guest found Jesus exactly there. Eric Watkins is with us. He's the pastor of Harvard Orthodox Presbyterian Church in San Marcos, California. He's also the director for the Center of Missions and Evangelism at Mid-American Reform Seminary. He's got a really wonderful piece in this month's Christianity Today. The headline is, I was a disenchanted deadhead who found Christ on a Greyhound bus. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, but it's good to be here with you. Yeah, we're excited. Um, I, I loved reading your story. I love reading people's stories. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's so life-giving. It really is. And Eric, even though we haven't met in person, I feel like I know you a little better. I feel like I know you a little bit from reading this article. Um, and so we're eager to introduce you to our listening audience. Um, and you start off the article by saying that you weren't born in the church. In fact, you weren't even born close to it. That is correct. We were a military family in North Carolina. My dad um, was a 26-year Marine Corps vet, and so we bounced around a handful of different places and were never a church-going family uh, when my parents were together. My dad ended up leaving our family when I was 12, pretty abruptly leaving my mom to finish off with um, four kids, two older sisters and a younger brother, but church was just really not a part of our life at that time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure, Eric, any guy who's 12 years old, any kid, and all of a sudden your dad's hardcore and he walks away from your family, it had to crush you. Yeah. You know, looking back at it, it's interesting. I mean, if you ever saw the movie Rambo, my, my dad was kind of like that guy, just, you know, a real chiseled Marine who was fantastic at all things uh, related to his work in the Marine Corps. Um, but, you know, for a lot of those guys coming home back to families was really hard, especially, you know, Vietnam era Marines when, you know, the family care was not quite as you know, strong as it maybe would become later in time, perhaps. But either way, you know, he certainly was sort of the stereotypical Marine Corps dad that had a hard time coming back and refinding his place at the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of kids and, you know, a mom, wife who, who had to fill in that gap when he's gone, just, you know, a lot of tension there. And even more importantly, without Christ in the marriage and in the family, you know, we just weren't being held together by the right glue. So when he left, it begins a pretty dark and stormy period 
you know, I'm 12, my little brother is 10. We started doing drugs and drinking and, you know, other stupid stuff around that age. And, you know, when you're a latchkey kid in the first place and your dad, you know, takes off kind of abruptly, you just end up experimenting with all the worldly forms of consolation that this world has to offer. And unfortunately that comes with a lot of trouble. So there you are, uh, left to your own devices. Like you said, uh, you and your brother are out running wild. You joined some gangs. You were shot at twice. You were arrested. Uh, your senior class voted you most likely to live in a VW van. You had grown dreadlocks. You had to repeat senior year in high school. I mean, uh, the future wasn't really great for you. You were just kind of being a, a wild coconut, yeah? Yeah, that's a pretty fair way to put it. Although I do look back and wonder, not all those things were terribly bad. Like I thought the dreadlocks were pretty cool. I, I have long hair now at 51 years old, but I don't have dreadlocks. I keep asking my wife, she won't say yes, but she probably has a point. Yeah, she does. Um, and then my high school class voted me most likely to live in a Volkswagen van forever. I'm still not sure if that was an insult or a compliment. A compliment. It was probably an insult. Yeah. That's, but the trajectory, though, you know, I don't want to downplay you know, the seriousness and significance of that. I mean, you know, when you're experimenting with all manner of depravity throughout your teenage years, you get pretty good at some things and you get caught and in a lot of trouble. And so getting shot out a couple of times, you know, I mean, scary business, uh, getting um into fights and just the things that came along, you know, with, with drinking and, and violence and then failing my senior year was humiliating. You know, you grow up in a place where you have a peer group for a while and then in the home stretch, you, you blow it um, like an idiot. I went to a, a basketball game with some friends really drunk and at halftime had to throw up and ended up throwing up on the other team's principal, oh, which apparently is really bad. Yeah. And so they threw they the book at that. me and yeah, yeah, I was suspended intensely for that. And it pushed me over the number of days that you were allowed to miss. And, um, you know, the school board, not only uh, not only was I suspended, I was encouraged just to not come back at all. Wow. But my younger brother had already dropped out of school. And I thought my mom should see one of her boys graduate high school. And it's not like I had anything else to do. So I went back for a second senior year, which was pretty humiliating. But, you know, I, I should just paint myself honestly here. Like I was, I, you know, I was rogue and rebellious. You know, what my dad represented was a form of authority that when he left, you know, I did the typical polar reaction to mm -hmm. and strongly reacted to. And so the day I graduated, my high school principal held on to my diploma, made me come to his office to get it. And he told me that he thought I would be dead or in jail within a year if my life didn't change. And I kind of resented and sort of blew off what he said and yet sort of thought about it. Um, and the next day or you know, like the week after, moved down to the beach and was just delivering pizzas, smoking pot, selling pot and surfing a good bit. And that was kind of, you know, where my life was and just sort of drifting, not only nowhere, but if anywhere into trouble. Um, you know, so all this is the pretext of me becoming a Christian, but it was dark. It was dark. It was lonely. It was bumpy. You know, sin makes a lot of promises at night and then leaves you 
cold and empty in the morning, so to speak. And I don't, you know, like, I don't want to like miss the opportunity to highlight that because I think a lot of people are wildly deceived by the promises that sin makes that the world makes. And yet they offer, they offer no hope and they always take mm. more than they give. Mm-hmm. We're talking with pastor Eric Watkins. He's a pastor at Harvard Orthodox Presbyterian church in San Marcos, California, talking about his life and his testimony. So Eric, uh, talk to us about Jesus and the Greyhound bus. Well, so after moving down to the beach there in North Carolina, I began a little degree, um, two-year degree in recreation, therapeutic recreation, and decided after a little while that that was just not the thing for me. I wasn't ready to be back in class yet. So I made a great career move. I decided to sell everything that I own, which wasn't much, and hop into a car and follow a band called The Grateful Dead with my little brother. And so that's what we did. We just started meandering around the country, selling drugs and doing drugs and playing guitar and going to concerts and eating a lot of falafels and growing a lot of hair and (laughs) not doing a lot of bathing um, because, you know, this is what Deadheads did back then. This is the early 90s. And after a year of that, um, I was in Northern California after a couple of concerts close to New Year's Eve, and we're just getting tired of it. It was a cold San Francisco kind of a night, and uh, you know, I was a little disappointed with the Grateful Dead. I was disappointed with hippies. I was disappointed with the lifestyle. You know, being cold and hungry and not knowing where you're going to wake up. Um, you know, the next day over and over and over. It sounds fun at the beginning of the movie, and then it becomes Groundhog Day after a while, and you begin to realize this really isn't that much fun. So I wouldn't say I was like overly depressed or suicidal, but I was definitely getting kind of low. When you start partying at 12 years old, mm. by the time you're 21, you know, what what haven't you done? And you can only, you know, talk about getting higher so many times. And then, you know, then you look around at people in your own life and recognize there's a price tag that comes with this lifestyle. And, and it just was not satisfying. So I decided to go back to North Carolina. Carolina, finished a little community college degree. My older sister, who lived and still lives in California, was flirting with Christianity at the time. And at a Greyhound bus station, she gave me her Bible, which I didn't really have an interest in, but I took it politely and hugged her and said goodbye. And after a couple of days on the Greyhound bus, I'm just playing guitar and sitting there, and eventually my fingers are kind of tapping out, and I'm bored, and I've still got days of bus ride in front of me. So I pulled out the Bible and said, why not? You know, I I grew up around what I would describe as cultural Christianity, which really turned me off, but I'd never really considered Jesus apart from my perception of Christians or read the Bible and just taken it on its own. So I looked in the table of contents and my little brother's name is Mark. And admittedly, I was a little jealous because there was not like a book named Eric, but (laughs) I got over that. Good. So yeah, so I started reading in the Gospel of Mark, and there, I mean, just you know, looking back at it, of course, you can say things better than you could at the time, but some people struggle or resist being told that they're sinful. For me, it was like a no contest. Like, I felt like mm-hmm. I'd mastered the art huh. of all of them, and I was deeply, clearly unmasked and convicted that I was a sinner, and I, I mean, I just really felt the weight and, you know, the, the unsafety of that, uh, the, the lack of safety and the idea of standing before God just really did not seem like a good idea. But, you know, the gospel was there as well. And it really, you know, it made sense to me that 
what I could not do for myself, what I would not do for myself is what Jesus came and did for us. He came and he perfectly obeyed the law. He came and he sacrificially died in the place of sinners and that through faith in him, there was hope, not simply for forgiveness, but for wholeness. And, and I, and I really want to lean into that idea. I felt like, you know, if I could say it this way, I felt like I'd been robbed of so much in my life and chased after so many vapors, so many lies. But what the gospel afforded me was not just forgiveness, but the opportunity to be made whole. And that, that really meant a lot to me. You know, the fact that my dad, this is a clear example, you know, had abandoned our family and left, um, you know, that God was a father who loved his children perfectly. I mean, that language meant a lot to me. Jesus as a savior meant a lot, but God as a father also meant a lot to me. And so I say it playfully, you know, I got on the bus, a long haired, stinking deadhead. And a week later, I got off a bus, even longer haired, certainly stinkier, but by the grace of God, converted. <laughs> Fabulous. Eric Watkins is with us. Eric, we, we need to step away for just a few minutes. Can you stay with us, please? Of course. Excellent. Hey, stick around. We're talking with Pastor Eric Watkins about his testimony. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. It's the ride home. Eric Watkins is with us. We're listening to his testimony, which appears in this month's Christianity Today. Eric, so just before we we left for the break, you said that uh, you were in a Greyhound bus, long-haired and stinky, uh, not a believer. But then that week over to the Carolinas, a week later, you come off the bus, still long-haired, still stinky, but Jesus was in your life. Yes, he was. And it began a really beautiful new story. You know, God is a God of second chances and more in, in some ways. And we wanted just, you know, so many things to share, but that year providentially my dad had become a Christian and was praying for some way to uh, make a, a amends with the family. And one of the most beautiful moments of my life was remembering him come to a small family reunion and this man of war getting down on his knees and through prayer, through tears, asking forgiveness from our family wow. and singing a Christian song called Watch the lamb which was this beautiful song but just really impactful and uh, later my mom would end up becoming a christian other members of my family would becoming a christian and in time i really just began to fall in love with the church and being with the people of god and it's just such an irony because growing up i had such a disdain for authority the church and all the things that it represented and now because god is not only gracious gracious but has a wonderful sense of humor uh, he's called me not just a member in a church but even to serve it Wow. So fast forward to now, um, boy, you have ended up in a whole different situation than your high school principal ever thought you'd be in. I have, but I don't think that he was entirely wrong from where he stood. Uh, things could have surely come out the way that he warned me. And, and yet by the grace of God, um, God had a different plan. And yeah, I'm, I'm just super thankful. I am married, wonderful wife, Heather. We just celebrated 27 years together. Uh, we have four adopted children from 17 down to five. My 83-year-old mom still lives with us and is a member of the church that I pastor and wow. have the privilege of serving the church and even doing a little teaching in a couple of seminaries. And it just if I could just leave or conclude with one final thought, it would be this. There's no one that God can't save. Hmm. There's no one who's beyond the reach of his arm and even the most unlovely, unlikable, seemingly unsavable people are not beyond the scope of God's grace. And if he can save and change a 
hard-headed deadhead like me, uh, you know, he can he can work in anyone's heart, and we should certainly have that optimism and hope as we try to share the gospel with others. Amen. That's fabulous, Eric. What about your dad? He became a believer. Was he part of your life? He, yes, he was in his own imperfect way. He actually passed away. We moved to Southern California uh, January 21, and he passed away the following month, Hmm. but he died in the Lord, and and we actually enjoyed uh, many good times together. He has held all of my children in his arms. Wow. That's an incredible story, Eric. Thank you for sharing it with us today. Really, thank you. You're very welcome. Pastor Eric Watkins, he's the pastor of Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church, San Marcos, California. Also the director for the Center for Mission Evangelism at Mid-America Reform Seminary. His testimony, which you just heard, is in this month's edition, the hard copy of Christianity Today. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along for the 5 o'clock hour of the Monday edition of The Ride Home. We are Pittsburgh's Christian Talk, and welcome in. Mm-hmm. We're so happy you're along with us. Um, it has been a gorgeous day. Oh. Uh, it could be... I, so, I've got... I, I'm trying to get my steps in. Yeah. So I've been walking in these beautiful days. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Um, it is cold. A little chilly. It's chilly. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular part of you that is like susceptible to the cold? You go. Yes. Which is? Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my arms. Your arms? It was just weird because what, like my hands are fine. Yeah. You'd think your hands would get cold. Right. 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 Why? What is the deal with my arms? You're wearing a coat and your arms get. Why is that? I don't understand that. I've never heard of that. I have never. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I mean, I was expecting like, you know, the tips of your fingers, your nose. No. Like my wife walks around with her, like her, her fist on her nose. Oh, right. Her nose is always cold. Me, my neck is very susceptible to cold. Oh, okay. So I wear one of those big sort of like. Gators. Yes. Mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And of course, the top of my head, of course, because I'm follically challenged. Right. You know, your husband's always wearing a hat as well. Exactly. Right. But you and your arms. <laughs> What's the deal? I'm not sure about that. Anyway. So if you are also trying to get your steps in, today is your day. Mm-hmm. So get out and Get walk. out there. All right. Um, are you big on family holiday photos? Is it like a thing? You- I have. I spent uh, a good portion of Saturday going through. A, the, when I say that we have a lot of family photos, like uh, we have tens of thousands of family photos. The four of you. No, my f- whole extended family. Oh, OK. We're big big picture takers. I mean, I just saw the one at the beach. There was like 30 plus people. Yeah, in the beach exactly. Photo. We, we just have so many from my father, from my grandmother, Excellent. a lot, a lot, a lot of pictures. Well, so we're the opposite. And, but here, okay, but here's the thing. We have never, the four of us, had an actual like professional photograph taken. Oh. Never. Really? Why is that? I guess because we take so many other pictures and have throughout. Right, right. Our lives that maybe we never have. I was just thinking, funny you should bring this up, that maybe we should get a picture taken before my daughter gets married. Like, just to, just oh, yeah, to sure. like, just re- the four of record you. the fact that we actually. This was us. We did this for, you know, several decades. Yeah, because I, I mean, you take them informally, which uh, they right. always look great. Yeah. But a nice, like, studio photo. Yeah, like or a real just professional like, yeah, photographer. actually calling somebody who knows mm-hmm. what the heck they're doing to take That's our good. picture. Yeah, excellent. I like that idea. Yeah, what about you? Well, 
couple of things went this is like you know like my my mom and dad you know that era oh, with with you pre, and your yeah all your like, siblings i remember like when on the 25th anniversary of my parents wedding uh we decided all seven kids that we were going to do like a family you know give them a gift mm-hmm. like an, and so you know it was a couple two of my brother-in-laws uh, and all seven of us kids which is very nice we went to pixie studios and um what i remember is after the the the, the photo was developed and sent to us in a frame, which we spent a considerable amount of money. My one sister was outraged because apparently, um, <laughs> this was an error, her 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 um, eyebrows were so finely tweezed oh, no. that, that, um, that they sort of disappeared. So the photographer trying to make them better <gasps> drew them in. No. Where she was like, totally, she lost her mind. You know, that was like the big controversy for them. So uh, I remember that. But then when, when our kids were little, my wife and I were like, well, let's do like little kid photos. We'll go to like, a, you know, a studio. And when we were there, the photographer was like, hey, come on. You know, it should be the four of you. I was like wearing like, you know, <laughs> like a slouchy shirt. Oh, no. I had like a Fu Manchu. No. My hair was kind of no. like, yeah, I look like. And we had that photo hanging in our house. And every time I go by it, I go. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Totally unexpected. Yeah. Oh my! God. But but uh, now, of course, with the ubiquitous iPhone, I mean, you can do quality family photos, right? But they're saying, you know, I'm looking at an article today from today's Washington Post. The big deal is, of course, and everybody knows this: the prep work is everything. Okay. Right? How you dress? Yeah, we should is think very about key. that. The location of where you're going to have the photograph taken. The time of day. And if you're going to do it inside, what the lighting's going to be looking like, all those things are super key. Yeah, okay. And then, of course, do you choose to use your phone or do you use a traditional camera, right? Okay. And if you're going to do that, are you hiring a professional? Or if you're not hiring a professional, how do you take the photo? Is yes. there like a remote on the camera? Is there a, like a long clicking button, you know, where somebody, okay, I'm going to re- ready, and then you're going to run into the frame, right. which always looks kind of bad. You right. kind of know. Um how does all that work? The advanced so know that ahead key. of time. Know that ahead okay. of time, right? And of course, you know, when you do family photos, people tend to like. I love them whenever they show up for Christmas, right? People kind of dressed alike, yeah. That sort of look. They're all they're all wearing Santa hats or something like that. Uh, I guess that's key, right? Well, if you want to do that, right. Post-production, if you're doing them yourselves. Now, if you have an iPhone, simple, right? Because they're, they're on your phone, the mm-hmm. editing, the framing and all that. And, of course, the, I guess the big thing is if you're using a pro, ex, the, the article says expect to spend anywhere between three and $500. I mean, Which you, 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 I mean you're going to do you, it right. Are you paying for somebody who knows what they're doing? Yes, you yeah, are. So then right. they deserve to get some I think so recompense well. for it. Right. Plus, they're dealing with your crazy family. Yes. So... What about photos in the mail? Do you do send the photos in the mail, or do you just send them electronically? You mean it print the photos? Yeah, because I like whenever they show up at our house. Yeah, I. Oh, you mean as far as Christmas cards? Yeah. Oh, I really like Christmas cards. Me too. But I haven't done them for the last two years. That's okay. There's still time. There's some. Okay. It's only like mid November. Yeah. Plenty of time. Okay. Maybe you'll do a family photo this okay. year. Okay. You think I should? I think you guys are very photogenic. You oh, always look very lovely okay. when you do the photographs. Well, I always like them. All right. All right. Okay. Maybe we'll just. 
print one out and send it to you. Why don't we do a ride home sandwich oh, Christmas photo? Yeah, we could use our Halloween photo. No, we should not yeah, use that that's photo. That's a good one. No. Because I'm dressed up as an octopus, no. Lexi's a medieval princess, and mm. you're crabby. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be me, you, and Lex in the ride home family Christmas photo. Yeah. I have so many ideas for this. You don't oh, even understand. Heaven help us. Here we go. Oh, I'm excited. Stand together. That is the Gettys, Keith and Christian Getty. How many incredibly wonderful songs that they have sung and produced over these many, many years. Keith and Christian Getty, uh, they are known for their myriad of modern hymns and carols. And they are musicians and parents to four daughters residing in Ireland, where they join us now. But they are coming to Pittsburgh. Looking forward to that Thursday evening, December the 14th at the Benetton Center. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Glad to be in the show and excited to be coming to Pittsburgh. Great. Keith, welcome back to the show. The last time that you were in Pittsburgh, John and I were there. It was a crazy good time. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It was a crazy good time. And um, so it's going to be, I bet, even better this year. You've got guests joining you. Talk about who's going to be along for the ride. Well, Blessing Offer, I think, is joining us that night. Wonderful wonderful gospel artist. No kidding. yeah, yeah, and so he, he's going to be joining us that night, and then, and then, uh, but I, I, I was going to tell you, the first time I ever went to Pittsburgh, I was I was a young kid, just finished college, and uh, I think Leslie Holmes was the pastor of First Presbyterian at the time, yeah. and he actually took me to meet Dan Rooney in the old stadium. Get hey, out! So fabulous. My first day in Pittsburgh. Come first on. Day. I got to go to the old stadium, and Dan Rooney got me lunch. And uh, what? Okay, so what year was that, Keith? Oh, this was like this was like uh, five hundred years ago. I think I think this was before <laughs> the First World War. Nineteen ninety six. Okay, so was he ninety six? Okay, so that was bef- that was before he was the ambassador to Ireland. Maybe yeah, was, I think so. Yeah, he, was, he became the was ambassador. It, he, the, the, he, and, he and Tony O'Reilly were both involved with the International Fund for Ireland. At the right. Time. Oh, I fabulous! That. Tony O'Reilly from Heinz. Yeah, and I'd, st- I'd already started a kind of a charity in Ireland that was doing interesting things, and wanted to meet, and so it was fun. Excellent. Had a fun time. So a little slice of Ireland here in Pittsburgh. Keith. I love that. No, that's, that's right. All, all the best. All the best. All the best Pittsburghians are from Ireland or Scotland. Or no, wait a minute. I agree. Pipe I'm down, Irish because Keith. my family's from Poland, so. Mm-hmm. My mother's uh, maiden name is that. Maloney, Keith, so we're, we're good to go. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and I always get the Carnegie thing wrong, because you guys call it Carnegie. He was right. obviously Scottish. Do you, is it Carnegie or what? what, what That's is it Carnegie. That you yep. You say Carnegie and then everybody else says Carnegie. Is that right? Yeah, they say Carnegie. Yeah. Carnegie. Oh, Carnegie. Carnegie. Oh, I get it. Right, right. But yeah, but heathens. Carnegie is the They're heathens. They're heathens. They are whatever the word is for non-Pittsburghians. It, it, we just call it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Wrong or dumb or dumb. <laughs> well, 
Keith, you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, did you ever imagine, you know, you and Kristen together and your family, I mean, uh, 20, 30 years ago, I mean, you've created something out of whole cloth and entertained millions, and there's Jesus in the middle of all this. It's a super cool life. Well, you know, we are so thankful for the opportunities we've had. We grew up in a little town in Ireland, and uh, I wanted to write hymns, and I, and I brought this idea to all the... When I finally was able to get there, I, I brought it to all the Christian record labels and publishing companies, and nobody thought there was any future for hymns. They, one of them told me there was a bigger future for typewriters. And uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, we're, we're, we're thankful to the Lord. I mean, I mean, the obvious thing is the first, the first song we wrote in Christ Alone, you know, we've never been able to do that again. And I think it's just an example that it was it was the kindness uh, of the Lord that, that that would happen. And so we've kind of just tried to walk as faithfully as we can, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, uh, and be good stewards. Of, of the music insofar as it it helps people understand and worship uh, you know uh, the God that we serve in beautiful ways so Keith, uh, the thing that you and Kristen have become known for is not just uh, you know beautiful music production, but the depth of theology in your work. Can you talk about the importance of that, um, especially as you know we struggle with the things that this era and season in world history is giving us? Well, sure. I mean, you, you used to be, you don't even have to think that deeply. You just have to let's, let, turn over the radio stations to other radio stations that, that, you, that you could be listening to right now. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is what we sing, there, there's a reason we sing the national anthem when we don't speak it. And that's because it's because it's so important. It's so important to us. And, and there's a reason God asks us to sing. And it's so important. And it, and it tends to memorialize the things that are most important and remind us in life of the things that are most important to us. And so, you know, if we want to grow more like Christ. We want to we want to be rich and deep in His Word, and, and singing is a huge part of that. And and I think sometimes our generation have been so stressed to be right that they've just forgotten about the importance of being able to of, of being able to sing the songs. And so I'd encourage everyone out there to make sure the songs that they're filling their own hearts with, that the songs especially that they're filling their children, their grandchildren's lives with, and then the songs that you're singing in your church. Uh, are deep and rich and beautiful to the Lord. I'm into that. We're talking with Keith Getty. They're coming to town, the Gettys are, with Sing, an Irish Christmas, Thursday, December 14th at the Benham Center. Tickets on sale, wordfm.com or trustarts.org. Keith, can you talk about Ireland? I mean, uh, you, you know, coming in, of course, you talked about the, the question rooms. Is the question, can I talk about Ireland? Yes, <laughs> is that, it is, the, it is yes, the question. I am more than capable of <laughs> waxing lyrical about the old country. Yes. What's I mean, the next question? I mean, the, the, the question question is, though, everybody here in Pittsburgh, there's such a large, still Irish population and, you know, Ireland known for its troubles. But things have been much better in Ireland recently, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Um, I mean, obviously, something that doesn't disappear, but it's, it's been much more positive. And, uh, and honestly, I think music's been part of that. Obviously, Riverdance happened around about the same time. Yeah. Little guitarist in the Riverdance show. He'll be performing that night, and it's going to be a hugely high energy, high energy fun fun show, as, as well as as well as as well as an evening. The first half is really just an Irish party. It's a celebration of great. My wife's going to be singing a lot. The band going to be doing some instrumental numbers, some some Irish dance in the middle of it, Excellent. and also a little section for all the kids to be part of as well, which is really fun for families. So the whole first half. I mean, it is really wonderful artistry, and Blessing's going to be joining us with a couple of songs from his new, his new, mm. his new EP. 
Then the second half is a 60-minute lessons in carols, where you go through the Christmas story, go through the gospel story. So if you've got friends or family or workmates or people in your street or, or just people who, who are who used to believe or are yet to believe, mm. why not invite them to come along? It's going to be a great night. Fabulous. It's coming up Thursday, December 14th at 7 p.m. at the Benedum Center. We're talking to Keith Getty. Keith, um, can you talk about your uh, the fidelity you have to Irish music? I mean, I think when uh, people in the church church hear you and Kristen and what you've produced, they think, oh, well, those are those are great hymns. That's a real contribution to the church. But I'm wondering about your contribution to just music in Ireland, um, how you guys, how you're part of that, that great tradition and what it's like. Well, I think anybody who's out there listening who wants to write, I mean, I always say to people, don't don't try and write like everybody else. The reason the reason our music has worked, I think, is because we've tried to write is because God brought us up in Ireland. He brought me up in this like Presbyterian home that studied studied classical music and theology. And you put all those things in a you put all those things in a in a in a juicer and turn on and, and turn turn on or smoothie and what comes out is our music. You know, it's a it's it's music that sounds like what we came from, and uh, so I think that's that, that's really important. And obviously, with this Christmas show, obviously the, the, this Christmas show was a was a PBS has been a PBS television special. And I mean, to the degree they give us absolute freedom to talk about the gospel, to talk about sin, to talk about hmm. the need of forgiveness, and it was was really unheard of. But they just they thought, you know what, these these guys are so much fun, and they're talented, and the music makes us feel good. Sure, go ahead, no problem. Do you know what I mean? So it's given us tremendous openings. This is the tenth year. We've been at Carnegie Hall. It's been, for most of that time, it's been the only Christian show in the Carnegie Hall Christmas season. For five years, it was in the Kennedy Center Christmas season. So it's just just wonderful opportunities. We're very conscious and very thankful for it. And don't want to take it for granted. So... Yeah. I mean, in this dark and hurting world, people need to hear the gospel. And uh, why better not to hear it through song first and uh, to uh, bring the gospel to as many people as possible, yes? That's right. That's right. And also, so many of the Christmas carols are Celtic tunes that it, that it, it translates very nicely. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's coming up Thursday, December 14th at 7 p.m. We've been talking to Keith Getty. Keith, our time's almost up. Um, but I want to ask you about just being a dad and uh, you and Kristen with your, your daughters and you guys got to be really busy. I mean, how's music fitting into, you know, it's one thing when your kids are one and two years old and they just orbit around you, but when they get older, they start to have their own lives. It's changing. It has to be changing what you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, we're just, we're, yeah, it does mean it. Several things spring to mind. The first one is it's it's such a great question. It's one of the questions my wife and I have to constantly ask, but it's not just, it's not just how many concerts you do, but it's how much stuff is in your mind as an artist. I'm in the middle of a song and thinking about it 24 seven. So it's like, how do I, how do I stay present with my kids? Mm-hmm. Not just physically present. You know, there's, I was at, I was at their game across the street at Oak Hill School a few weeks ago. I mean, I was physically present, but I wasn't present. You know, I wasn't really there. Do you know what I mean? And so that's the thing I'm really having to learn and ask some pretty hard questions about to be, to be better because I'd rather be a better dad than a better musician, that's for sure. And uh, I think also, I think... Um, you know, I think we, 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 I would be pretty quick to say a lot of what we've been able to do is just because of the extraordinary nature of the team that we have. You know, they're yeah, sure. from, from the from the people around our family, especially to the band. I mean, the band are just the band are a world class entertainment act mm-hmm. by anybody's stretch of the imagination. And then the 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 office and and the work they do, and so so grateful. And then of course. Um, you know Grove City and Paul Middleton, all the guys who have brought wanting to bring this show to to Pittsburgh. You know, just so grateful to so many people, and it, in a sense, it does take a whole village to raise a child. In our case, for sure. Excellent. Um, 
but it's uh, yeah. So I'm very grateful. Okay. Uh, the third thing I would say is this, the final thing I would say is is this is we've raised our kids to sing a hymn every night before they go to bed, the same hymn every month. You do one hymn in the month, and that's to help them learn about the Lord. And as they've got older, over COVID, obviously, you know, the family hymn sing that happened during COVID, it was an accident. It was the Tuesday night, St. Patrick's Day. It was 17th of March, 2020. Mm. And that, for some bizarre reason, that, that live event we did on Facebook, which we thought was going to be for our families, plus, you know, a few hundred people, ended up having hundreds of thousands of people watch. It, was, it ran on Fox News television, all, all that Friday. And by the time we did it the next week, there was over 900,000 people watching it. And so we did that for the whole of COVID, just have these like family hymn things that are still up on YouTube. And, and that brought our girls into the event. And I would say that our girls love, we, we, we only do about eight weeks of touring a year, three at Christmas, three, three on the hymn tour. And then we do two as international mission. And, uh, you know, because we only, only do that much, the girls get to travel with us most of it and enjoy it. And so, you know, they've been able to enjoy it. And the show has got this incredibly entertaining kind of family section in the middle, which is which is so welcoming for kids. But yet it's it's still it's still very entertaining for everyone to come along to. So I'd, I'd definitely encourage people to bring their kids because 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 it, it, it's such an important Christmas is such an important evangelistic time mm. for children and families. Amen. Bring your family. Make that family tradition happen with Sing, an Irish Christmas. Keith and Christian Getty, a band, a choir. It's all going to happen Thursday, December 14th, 7 o'clock at the Benham Center downtown. Tickets on sale at wordfm.com and trustarts.org. Keith, we're excited for you. Can't wait to be at the Benham and uh, celebrate Christmas with you. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas to you and yours. And also with you guys. See you soon. sense. Does what make sense? Cheese curls. Cheese curls? Yeah. I, I was at a uh, an event yesterday and uh, my daughter pulled out a bag of cheese curls. Yeah. And I thought to myself, like, I would never, ever, ever buy that. Really? I would never buy that. Well, that's a shame because cheese curls make perfect sense. What? Cheese curls are good. They're such a mess. Who cares? Now, there's a distinction between like a regular cheese curl and the Cheetos. Okay, so delish. Like, so the the the, the curly Q? the curly Q ones that are that are puffy. super small, and then the puffy ones. The Cheetos, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 yeah. Cheetos are its own brand. Yeah. I would say they're little higher end cheese curls. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is there yeah. a lower? Is there like a generic brand of? Oh, cheese yeah. Curl? Like I was at a store the other day, and I thought, like these big containers of like. Oh, the Uts, che- oh, like the cheese balls. Cheese balls, which I also like. Really. But then they have like you know the variety of container of pretzels, chips, and cheese curls all together. Oh, at one time. okay. I've never like, had oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. But cheese balls, that's excellent. Okay. That's just that a mess. Perfect sense. That, that, that orange mm. junk is all over you. Delish. It's all over your face. It's all over your hands. What that it's is. It's just too messy. That's a free pass to lick your fingers. That's just, it's right. And then your finger. Who cares? Wait, did you really wash your hands before? And then you're licking all the stuff you're that you touched the all day. It's not about it the is hygiene. It's a mess. Look, I'm telling you. I'm going to buy you some cheese curls. I'm just, please. I, I don't think, I think it makes there's something in the kitchen. I don't think it makes sense. Really, it makes perfect sense to me. All right, does this make sense? Corduroy. 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 Yeah. Whether it's a corduroy jacket, maybe corduroy a pair of pants. pants. I mean, it's its very own. Maybe it. Maybe it's a, an easy chair. Oh, heaven forbid. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Corduroy. Yeah. Does it make sense to you? I like it. Oh, it doesn't make any sense I to me at like all. I like it. Doesn't it? Corduroy, first of all, is noisy. It is a little noisy. Like where you're wearing corduroy pants, you hear someone coming a mile away. Yeah. No spies are wearing corduroy, I'll no, tell you that. It's not in, it's not in the, uh, the uh, spy wardrobe. Corduroy jackets are like cumbersome. They're kind of like no, they harsh. Can, no, no, no. You're wrong. You're, mm. they, they, if the waffle, you know, which is yeah, like if the it whale, wears, it wears. the whale, if it's, if it's like woofy and soft, mm-hmm. it can be the softest, greatest mm-hmm. jacket you ever had. It just kind of comforts you. Here's the deal. Has there ever been like corduroy couture? Yeah. What? Well, come on. Oh, yeah. You think? Sure. Like high fashion very, corduroy. Very nice corduroy, corduroy pants. Kind of like in this yeah. Sears Robux catalog. No, you're, you're too limited in your understanding. I, I say so. yes to corduroy. corduroy. Totally makes sense. I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, corduroy doesn't make sense. But cheese curls do. Just last week, John and I were memorializing a good friend of ours who passed away in October by the name of Bob Long. And uh, Bob had a huge, huge impact uh, in the city of Pittsburgh, but all over the nation, uh, being the head of the Coalition for Christian Outreach, or the CCO. Um, But in attending his memorial service and hearing people talk about Bob and his connection with FCA also became um, apparent. And so it started me thinking about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Mm -hmm. And John, then you and I talked about it afterwards. And we thought, you know, this is something we haven't talked about in the air very much in the last five years, I bet. And so we're happy that Mike Kaler is going to be with us today. He's a longtime FCA volunteer. He's also the inaugural recipient of the FCA Canada Keith and Marlis Allen Service Award. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But Mike, we're glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure, Mike. Hey, congratulations on on the award. That's got to make you feel good. I mean, you're volunteering for something and being singled out for that. Uh, Congratulations to all that. Well, thank you. It was uh, unexpected. And uh, yeah, you just, uh, you do what you do and uh, don't look for those kind of things, but very special. Yes. Excellent. Uh, talk to us about the Fellowship for Christian Athletes. I mean, as Kath and I said, we have a close connection because of our friend Bob Long, but it falls under the radar for a lot of people of what FCA does. Can you tell us about it? Uh, well, FCA has been involved in the States for a long time. So I live in southern Manitoba, uh, but uh, we uh, we always travel to the States, and uh, they've been around for an awful long time, but... Uh, yeah, ministering or connecting with athletes in schools, community, coaches. They run camps all over the country, uh, in North in uh, the U.S. for sure. Uh, they're just getting into Canada now. 
Okay. And your uh, your first connection with FCA, was it as a student athlete or was it when you were coaching? Uh, no, actually, I was... Uh... I had just turned uh, 20 and uh, had had a number of things happen in my life. And uh, without going into all that stuff, sport and faith started to kind of, okay, how does that work together? How does it connect? And uh, started looking around, and uh, I came upon FCA in the States. And uh, so that, that was my connection, my first connection 42 years ago. Fabulous. I mean, but that is important, Mike. I mean, when you say, you know, not to go into all that, I mean, tell us that story because were you a believer before you connected with sports and FCA? Uh, I was, but it was uh, kind of at arm's length. I mean, sports was my world and uh, didn't have a lot of time for any youth or church stuff. And uh, then I had a a teammate when I was 14 commit suicide. Mm. And then I three friends at around 18 that uh, died in different kind of scenarios and uh, just caused me to really evaluate life and what's what it's all about but uh, God had still gifted me as an athlete and so does that come together and uh, does God need to be more involved in my life and that was very obvious that he was then tapping me on the shoulder and uh, and FCA was a, a key part of helping develop that. Fabulous. So the perspective of the athlete, um, I mean, we we get it here uh, in America because we're just gigantic sports fans. Um, but, I, you know, I've never been an athlete. I never was an athlete. And so I'm wondering how what's how does it translate it seems to translate so well the uh message of the gospel with the idea of athletics and um com- competitive situation can you speak to that well it does and and there's things that happen whatever sports you're playing on the court on the field on the ice uh that you have to wrestle with and deal with and uh that could be injury it could be uh, not being played, not being picked, um, but then there's life that happens, and uh, the reality is that I found in the last probably a dozen years for sure is that what happens off the court or off the away from the sport affects me playing the game mm. or playing in my sport, and so uh, you know we weren't meant to walk life alone and. Uh, and it just so happened that that was just, uh, you know, uh, on uh, on on the ice, off the ice, on the court, off the court, uh, life. It just happens. And so that's uh, why, you know, an athlete or no athlete, um, it, it's you're, you're just happy to be involved. I mean, dance is the same kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's a journey, uh, but it. Uh, it's one I was on, and it helps me relate to those students, uh, male or female. Excellent. So, Mike, 30 years in youth ministry with the FCA. I mean, 30 years is a long time. And, you know, Kath and I talk about this. We have kids who are now in their, in their early to mid-20s. Have you noticed a change in, in, in youth and the culture and how that has affected them and what the gospel is like uh, talking about that in you know, these times? Uh, probably more pressure and more mental health okay. kind of scenarios. Um, you know, again, dealing with their confidence. I, I just 
threw uh, a question out to some of my uh, I work at, with the Ring Hockey Academy with four different teams and it's like what's been a highlight and what's been a challenge and uh, so much of it is just a combination of on and off ice but it's just they're, they're wrestling with they're not good enough they haven't uh, lived up to somebody whether it's their parents or their coach mm-hmm. uh, or teammates and so uh, that seems to be I think growing uh, the, the mental health side the confidence side uh, the mindset, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. We're talking to Mike Kaler, longtime FCA volunteer. He's the inaugural recipient of the FCA Canada Keith and Marlis Allen Service Award. It recognizes the coach or volunteer who's demonstrated a lot of consecutive years of faithful service to FCA. And we're talking about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, so, uh, Mike, let me ask you, it's, I know that there are uh, many similarities between Canada and the U.S., um, but I wonder about yeah. sports. I mean, sports is just at the forefront of all things entertainment in the U.S. Uh, what's it like in Canada? And, you know, talk about the the uh, similarities and how we might understand how you guys think of it. Oh, it's exactly the same. Is it? It's, yeah. Uh, it, it's no different up here than it is down in the States. Um yeah. So what about culture? Yeah. I mean, we often talk about culture, you know, here, you know, America c- culture, somehow a little different than Canadian culture. Uh, what about the church in Canada? Uh, does it flourish or does it backslide? I mean, everyone's got their own perspective of where we are. Well, yeah. And right now there's, there's a lot of hypocrisy that people point to. And, and I kind of, I kind of get that in the sure, sense of, of like, so, so, you, so you're living this way, but you're acting this way, right. or really not living out your faith. And with athletes, that's uh, and probably culture-wise, uh, one of the differences I see between the states and, and Canada is the, the patriotism. Uh, to uh, like, if I went to play an high school hockey game in North Dakota, we would have like 3,000 fans at a high school game. Here, we might have a hundred. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so, so, so sports is huge in the States. It's big here, too, just not as far as an audience that follows it kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, that part is, you know, the love of sport and involvement in sport is just as much up here as it is down in the States. And, you know, I wonder about this. I mean, you know, we see this. Kath and I are big baseball fans, and, of course, we love football as well, American football. You know, you and see... And hockey. Don't forget yeah. hockey. But you'll see, like, you know, the baseball players, you know, they're making the sign of the cross, or if someone scores a touchdown, they're pointing up to heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that sort of... Yep. You know, it's performative in when, some way. When a, when a quarterback gets sacked, nobody's pointing up to heaven. No, no. Right. But, you know, hockey's is its own thing. I mean, you don't necessarily see the outward expressions of faith in hockey, and it doesn't bother me but it's just a thing that i've noticed yeah that that is very true uh there there are some sports that it's very obvious uh but hockey has been a tough one to uh i don't know to to break into and so maybe that's why i just love the opportunity to walk alongside these players uh talk about uh, life and faith and their sport and uh hopefully direct them uh, you know, in the right uh, in the right place, and uh, give them opportunity. Uh, the one thing I am noticing, and I don't know, I don't know if I can speak to this in the states, but it's uh, when you talk about culture and church, 
there seems to be a much more of a, of a separation uh, between a player now and years ago. Because if I ask a player now, uh, which I had one that said, you know, I'd like to know more about God, okay? Uh, so then I start, my wheels start turning. It's like, so what's your background? Well, I, I don't have any. What about your parents? None. Your grandparents? None. Like, whoa, okay. Uh, so I'm starting from, like, scratch yeah. with players these days because um, they're just not growing up with, uh, with people in, the, in a faith community. Well, Mike, we want to thank you for sharing that and uh, talking to us about FCA. Congratulations yeah, on being the recipient of the award. 30-plus years. Yeah. That's a really great job, Mike. Really good stuff. Well, appreciate that. I, I, I told uh, Sarah, who wrote the article, and, and uh, our Canadian people up here, I just try to be faithful to what I'm calling. And, uh, and I actually had that. I'll tell you this real quickly. I had one this, just this fall who player came to me and said you know our family's been dealing with some some health mental health stuff and and we talked and god prompted me to bring in a book and a bible and next thing you know he's invited jesus into his life and so didn't see that coming but mm. i just god was prompting me so just yeah just being faithful when the time comes um and uh walking alongside god as along the players as, as god breaks me so <laughs> Well, Mike, a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for sharing your story with us today. Good stuff. Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity and uh, appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, look forward to to the year and wish you well as well. Mm -hmm. That's Mike Kaler. He's the inaugural recipient of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Canada Keith and Marla Allen Service Award. He's been with FCA for a long, long time. Excellent. Just trying to show up and be faithful. Yep. Hey, if you got a kid or uh, someone involved in, in athletics, look at Check out FCA. Yeah, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. For most of his existence, Ken has lived in the shadow of his tiptoed better half, functioning exclusively as arm candy for Barbie mm-hmm. with myriad careers and ambitions. That is, until the summer when director Greta Gerwig's smash hit Barbie elevated the boy toy to bubblegum pink stardom. Mm-hmm. Now, since Barbie was released, Ken has spawned memes, inspired merch. His ballad, I'm Just Ken, has been streamed more than 88 million times on Spotify. And his wardrobe, from a neon roller coaster skating fit to a Sylvester Stallone-inspired fur coat, not only became Halloween inspiration, but also sparked the trendy Ken Core aesthetic. That's from today's Washington Post. But... Alas, it was simply not enough for the National (laughs) Toy Hall of Fame. Oh, really? Ken was chosen as one of 12 nominees up for induction. Barbie's sidekick lost out to baseball cards, Cabbage Patch Kids, the Fisher-Price Corn Popper, and Nerf Foam Toys. As Ryan Gosling's platinum-inspired character put it, it is Ken's destiny to live and die a mm. life of b- blonde fragility. <laughs> the National Toy Hall of Fame, which was founded in 1998 and acquired three years later by the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York, each year inducts toys that have inspired creative play and enjoyed popularity over a sustained period. Now, Ken was announced as a finalist 
uh, having consistently reflected the times with his outfits and sparked conversation. But as I said, alas, it was not to be. Uh, maybe Ken some other place, some other time. Mm. Did you have a Ken doll growing up? Oh, sure. Did you? Mm-hmm. A Ken doll? That was like like Barbie Plus. You would know well, you were dedicated well, to the Barbie here's, universe. Here's what it, it always was. Mm-hmm. My, I would get, I maybe had two Barbies, two new Barbies. Mm-hmm. But... At yard sales, you pick up a Barbie. Oh, yeah. Also, Ken was from a yard sale, you think? Yeah. No, I think, I, I don't even remember, but here's the thing. I probably had, over my lifespan, 20 Barbies and one Ken. Oh. Mm-hmm. And that really, I think, speaks to what's happened to him in the Toy Hall of Fame. That Ken was monogamous. No, that Ken was always ancillary. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were, as if you've seen the movie, it, it's outright hilarious how it brings that point to the fore that nobody really cares about Ken. Nobody cares about Ken. However, you know, uh, at the end of the movie, the... um Kenuff, Kenuff. Yes, he had his own sort of he universe, did. right? He did. He with did. Lots of own. horses. He did. Lots right. he, of the all bros. He, all he wanted to do was be with horses. Right. Exactly. That's all he wanted. Now, who did he get beat out by? Nerf foam toys. Yeah. Nerf foam toys. Baseball cards. Baseball cabbage cards. patch kids. Yeah. I and mean, there was one other thing. Uh, something else. Um, uh, cabbage. Oh, the Fisher Price corn popper, which I don't know what that is. The Fisher Price corn popper. Yeah. That was like was that like the corn popper for kids? Kind yeah, of like the easy been. bake oven? For kids, I guess, right? The corn popper. Who wants a corn Lexi, popper? Lexi, did you have a corn popper? No. Fisher Price corn, corn popper? Don't know what that is. I no, don't really do I. know what that is. How either. can Ken lose out to a corn popper? See, it's again, low. it speaks to yeah. how really he just kind of orbits around. Now, right? I never owned a Ken, but there were plenty of Barbie dolls with five sisters running around the house. However, and it did, none of them ever had a Ken. Mm-mm. Again. No. That's no. what we're talking about. I mean, we have like we have like a large paper bag, like a shopping bag full of Barbies. Yeah, and right? your mom probably got them at yard sales. Yeah, because the beautiful thing is you can clean a Barbie. Oh yeah, you, know, you can scrub a Barbie, and then you end up with kind of a new Barbie, and yeah. so you're good to go. But whenever I would see like the Ken, what I liked about Ken, the first generation Ken, was the super cool hair. The, the blonde kind of like yeah. it was styled back. And it was kind of like there was a texture to it. Yeah. Yes, it was kind there of like was a, a texture. A white boy blonde fro. Yeah. And you could. Yeah. You you could kind of. Yeah. It made a little sense. Then later on, it became plasticized. Yeah. Right. So was Ken. Ken was markedly smaller than G.I. Joe. Oh, no, I don't think so. No, 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 no. I had a G.I. Joe. But I mean in size. No, in size. G- oh. The original G.I. Joe and Ken were, you know, they were the same. They were about the same size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, G.I., again, though, Ken is secondary to Barbie. He's also secondary to G.I. Joe. Secondary? He's like ninth to yeah. G.I. Believe me, if you're going to play G.I. Joe, you don't want Ken anywhere near you. <laughs> you don't. I mean, that's a little frilly for G.I. Joe. Yeah, no, I get you it. Wanted, you know, you want a G.I. Joe. You don't want it. So, okay. did G.I. Joe come with different clothes? Yeah, I'm sure he did. All right. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.